You're listening to the Pocket Coven Podcast, where we explore the magical and mystical and where they intersect with the wide world of mental health. I'm Amber Lenore, a pagan creative arts therapist. And I'm Callie Little, a pagan emotional support witch and artist. We invite you to listen, connect, and deepen your relationship's magic. And to yourself. We're the coven in your pocket. Hello and welcome to another week of the Pocket Coven podcast. Amber here with a note before we start the episode proper. So the first thing you're going to notice is that my audio doesn't sound as good as it usually sounds like it does right now on my pro microphone. Callie and I, true to retrograde tradition, had audio recording difficulties, so my audio is coming through my laptop and not through this lovely, lush microphone. So you will hear that. The choice was to scrap the episode or just let it be imperfect. So I'm going to let it be just a little bit imperfect. The other reason I'm coming forward today to give you an opener before we begin the episode is because the content of this episode could be distressing to you. It could feel really unsafe to you. And we speak to that in the episode, but I want to give you that even right now, that permission to just turn it off or the space to investigate. This episode is about trauma. Because trauma is so pervasive, I want to give a statement about that. Because the trauma that we're speaking to is particularly complex trauma, and that means child abuse. Statistically, 7.9 million children per year report child abuse. 91% of the victims of child abuse suffered at the hands of their parents. Complex trauma is a family systems issue, and it is incredibly pervasive. The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration says, trauma and violence are widespread, harmful, and costly public health concerns. SAMHSA describes individual trauma as resulting from an event, a series of events, or a set of circumstances that is experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or life-threatening and that has lasting adverse effects on the individual's functioning and mental, physical, social, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Trauma has no boundaries with regard to age, gender, socioeconomic status, race, ethnicity, or sexual orientation. Trauma is a common experience for adults and children in America. Because it's so common, everyone who listens to this is going to feel it. This is a really, really big topic. So I want to invite you to remember where you're safe in your life as you listen. I want you to know that you are free to step away at any time. And I also want you to know that you are absolutely not alone. Hello, and welcome to the Pocket Coven podcast where Mercury Retrograde doesn't want us to make a show. This has happened every time there has been a retrograde. I don't want to be superstitious. I just want to be a little stitious. 
Just I'm a little stitious. <laughs> Can you stop messing with garage bands, Mercury Gatorade? <sighs> but it's it's perfectly on theme for what we're going to be talking about this week. Dysregulation. <laughs> yeah, trauma. We're talking about trauma this week. Mm-hmm. Yes. From Jump, we're going to tell you this is going to be a really activating episode. We're going to talk about child abuse. We're going to talk about pain. We're going to talk about the consequences of the pain of child abuse. So if that's not your jam or you're not resourced to listen to us talk very frankly about this, then that is okay. You don't have to listen to it. You are the gatekeeper of your own discomfort. And if you're unsure, listen. You can listen in, and if stuff starts to feel funny in your body, give it a pause. Give it a beat. Think about it. See if you're ready, because sometimes we don't totally know what's going to be activating, and that's okay. Uh, Part of your magical practice really is being aware of how you feel and your intuition. And if you, like me and Amber, are someone who carries a lot of trauma, that shit is in your body, and it does make it really hard to know how you feel. So consider this, if you choose to listen, a practice in paying attention to your body. Yes, exactly. And we're going to talk concretely about what that means for trauma to be in your body. But before we get into that, I pulled a card, Callie. Yes. And uh, which (laughs) deck are we pulling from this week? The Aquarius Tarot, the the Aquario. It's a beautiful... (laughs) Uh, art deco, art nouveau sort of deck. Mm-hmm. Is there, there's a difference. I'm not an art major. I think art deco is when it's like very angular, like you think of the great Gatsby 1920s yeah, type, yeah, type yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And then art nouveau is like flowy florals, a lot more of that like muca vibe. Okay. Yeah. So there's definitely a huge difference. This is definitely the nouveau. It's like really flowy and beautiful. And I picked the King of Pentacles, and this person has a very nice little goatee and <laughs> a, a bowl. A pillow them. for a hat. A pillow for a hat. A huge pentacle on their chest. Flava Flav. Flava Flav, the Aquario. Yeah. Flava Flav. So I wonder how the King of Pentacles is going to be a guide for us today. Hmm. I mean... <clears throat> When I think of the suit of pentacles, the suit of earth, I think of earthly existence, like yes, money and yes, your home, but also all of the things that make up being a human, not necessarily a spirit. And I'm not saying it's about dividing those two things, but it's much more about your earthly existence. So to me, the king of pentacles is like, he has his shit together. He is really taking care of things. He's paying his bills. He is taking care of that leak in the bathroom. He is making sure the fridge is stocked. He's getting enough sleep. He's making investments. He's got a job that pays him enough that he loves. He's taking that vacation because he knows he deserves it. And on top of that, he's feeling pretty relaxed about it all. That's not to say that like embodying the King of Pentacles energy means that you feel super chill about it. It means Like, let him be your teacher. Let him be your guide. Let him be what you're aspiring to. And reminder, as always, pronouns for tarot cards mean nothing to either of us. Um, So make of that what you will. But I feel like King of Pentacle vibes has so much to do with regulation. Yeah, I'm 
really impressed by that poll. Yeah. I actually pulled it twice. I got it once and I was like, ah, I mean, yeah. And then it came again. I was like, okay, okay. And then I really, I sat with it while we were like setting up. And of course that's what came up. The way that I'm making sense of it is that, you know, even though I've been teaching about trauma for years, I've taught at the Smithsonian, I taught Cirque du Soleil trauma theory. It's a whole thing. Very, very niche skill set that I have. And, uh, and, and, but even, even with that, I always prepare to talk mm-hmm. about it because there's so much to know. And mm-hmm. being a master, at least to me, is that you're always a student and you're always learning. So I'm like, you know, going back to some of my foundational texts about trauma, you know, what I use to write my thesis and stuff like that. And every time I go back to that, I'm like, oh, the body, the body, the body, the body, the body. And I can get really far from that because I'm very verbose. I'm really intellectual. I'm very analytical. My Virgo rising makes me scholarly and academic. And that is helpful when understanding childhood trauma, but is not the point, actually. Mm -hmm. All of the information and the intellectual holding of trauma theory is so that you can come back down to the body. Yeah. So understanding the body is where we always have to begin when we're trying to understand the impact of trauma on adults and on people living in survival mode because they were raised in survival mode. Yeah. The suit of pentacles remind us that our bodies are our home, that our truest form of abundance is our time and energy. Um, And also they're like, hey, get your shit together. File your taxes, Callie. Um, You know, it's about practical care. I I think of like the empress as being the self-care card. She's all about like, you know, being really kind and soft with yourself. The king of pentacles to me is like, you know what, get your affairs in order because you probably need to be on a schedule and you probably need to be doing a little more practical shit with your life. And it's not an unloving card because in my opinion, the king just means the master of the suit or the soul of it. And so it's like, hey, you know, in order to love yourself well, you got to pay your rent. You have to pay for the bathtub that you are luxuriating in as the empress or the queen of pentacles or any of the queen suits. Exactly. Both are really, really important. The structural, what holds, and the ephemeral, what is within, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had been talking about how this is the perfect week for us to finally do an episode on trauma what trauma is, what complex PTSD is, like what all of these things really are, um, especially because it's coming up a lot for both of us um, in a lot of different ways. You know, you and I both have complex PTSD. We have long-term trauma. And I know that we've both also been very transparent in our online personas about the fact that we've been, you know, trying to get our shit together lately because things have been activating and difficult as they are for so many people over the holidays Um, and around the new year. You know, you start thinking about what have you done in the last year? What have you not done? And either something that comes up might be motivation or something that comes up might be shame and I think for most of us, it's a bit of both. I know that for me, my trauma has been coming up in my behavioral patterns. Like 
I've noticed what I've been neglecting. I've been in the past year trying to take care of my body a little more. I got an eye exam for the first time in way too long. I got a water flosser because I, like most people, I think am terrible at flossing my teeth. I've been working on, you know, taking care of my hair and my skin and my body, improving my food intake, um, drinking more water and, it's been exhausting. And also I'm just in so much pain. Like I can't avoid it anymore. And at the same time, living with depression means that it's so hard to motivate myself to do those things. So I've been creating plans for myself. I've been creating daily structure, not because I'm drawn to it at all because I am super not, but because I want to have an autopilot setting where it's like, I know that if I don't do these things, I'm going to be really depressed. But if I do wake up, drink water, take a shower, put on a whole outfit, check my email after that, I'm going to feel a lot more productive, a lot better about my morning. So I'm trying to do that despite the fact that it's really hard and I really don't want to. And I feel like that is some big King of Pentacles energy. Oh, it absolutely is. Yes. Yes. And I'm doing all of the same work in my life right now. I have some depression, which is like the common cold of the mental health world. It's just, it comes and goes. It's a very sane and normal, normative, at least response to stress. And also, it is really common for people who are survivors of child abuse and neglect to have patterns of depression, to have chronic depression, recurrent depression, depressive episodes. And um, yeah, again, we're going to get into concretely why that is. But having an understanding that that's what's happening is, I find, very helpful for me. So hopefully some listeners are holding that too, that living with an awareness that there's not anything like bad about you, that your brain is doing what your brain does because of what you've been through. I find that really helpful. And depression can be kind of confusing to me. I'm not always sure that it's happening. The first wave that I feel every time is I just kind of hate everything and feel really, really negative. And, <laughs> and then it takes me a few days to catch up and be like, oh, oh, ooh, I'm depressed. Okay all right, let's grab our behavior activation plan. I have to get up and walk every morning because what it will do is it will um, change the way that my nervous system is patterning. So because I was raised in trauma, my nervous system knows how to do what it did when I was a kid, right? And knows how to bring me there. So mm -hmm. I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I would love to just do some simple defining. What do you think about that, Callie? I mean, yes, I just, I got so excited about so many things you said and then you were like, <laughs> but I'm not going to talk about it right now. Um, no, no, I mean, go ahead and respond. I mean, I know my definitions are waiting there. No <laughs> well, I think that, you know, when you were sharing about your behavioral activation plan, is that what it is? Yeah, that is a cognitive behavioral therapy technique, which I think everyone knows I don't like CBT, but that is what it's from. And it's actually quite decent. I have never heard of that before. And hearing you talk about it was so affirming because that's essentially what I've done with my days. And it honestly feels so bad to do it. <laughs> it feels yeah. so annoying. I hate it. It feels like I am not being a nagging parent, but like I'm doing all the things that I don't want to do because what I want to do is like 
you said, I want to do what I did when I was a kid, which is like hide, retreat, um, go wait for things to be safe, wait to be taken care of. But as an adult, I know that that doesn't happen. I know that me waiting for safety doesn't actually work in the context of like a Monday, you know, when I'm, (laughs) when I'm not actually in danger and I know that the person who's going to pull me out of that hole is me. It is never going to be somebody else. I can enlist the help of people who love me to hold that rope up, you know, and I can have my therapist, I can have my medication and the foods that nourish my brain and my body and exercises, but like I got to do the work and it is heavy lifting. It's not fun to manage depression, but I love knowing that it's a CBT, uh, intervention. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. (laughs) an intervention because that makes me feel like, Oh yeah. So it's a tool that works. It's an evidence-based tool that works. We know that behavior activation works. And I also wanted to say before I go into my uh, academic mode, of course, you don't want to do these things. We, we wax fairly poetically about reparenting. And what is our relationship to parental figures generally? <laughs> Antagonistic. So, you know, we're like, oh, reparenting is going to be so great. No, there's going to be part of you that's going to re- rebel against the behavior activation plan of like, I'm going to get up at 7 a.m. every day and, and I'm going to make sure that I take a hot shower and I'm going to put on regular clothes and I'm going to take a walk. I'm not going to wear my pajamas today. You know, there's <laughs> especially because like I work from home. I can. So do you there is still going to be part of us that's going to say, no, Mm -hmm. I don't want that to happen because that was also a defense we used in childhood. So, so as I have said on the podcast before, there is a difference between post-traumatic stress disorder and complex PTSD. And I want to be explicit about this because not everybody understands the difference and they're very, very different. Mm -hmm. So generally there are kind of like three kinds of umbrella terms for trauma. There's acute trauma. So that's going to be a car accident or maybe a natural disaster of some kind. There's going to be chronic trauma, which is repeated or prolonged trauma, like domestic violence or abuse. And then there's going to be complex exposure, which is varied multiple aspects. So we have both physical abuse combined with neglect, combined with maybe socioeconomic stressors that can be combined with intergenerational issues and patterns. Uh, Institutionalized racism can get in there, right? We have this entire cocktail of stressors. So I also want to pause and I want to identify just something I think is always important to identify when talking about theoretical concepts is that this is theory. Okay. So This is all very clinical information. I use a trauma model of psychopathology. So that's not universal. Uh, The DSM where we diagnose from is not (laughs) a trauma model of psychopathology. So someone that's showing me maybe symptoms that might look like bipolar disorder, I'm still going to emphasize uh, the childhood trauma aspect. So here's just a little like what that means. Focusing on trauma emphasizes the effects of physical, sexual, and psychological trauma as a key causal factor in development of psychiatric disorders. So we don't 
we as in the, the folks who identify with this model of looking at disorders and mental illness, we don't think that there is something just wrong with that person, that they just have a chemical imbalance. I mm-hmm. mean, they do, and they do have nervous system damage, but the reason for that is environmental. I think another thing to just mention at the top of the episode is while PTSD can happen from something like a car accident, or that could be considered an acute trauma, those also can be present in people who have complex trauma because every single person is going to have acute trauma in their life. You do not get out of life without acute trauma because it's everything. It's you know, that really bad breakup. And maybe it wasn't abusive, but it was traumatizing. Maybe somebody betrayed you or maybe, you know, your house burnt down. You might have acute trauma, you might have PTSD, or it might be part of complex trauma. So please remember that, you know, as we're talking about these definitions, you know, as Amber said, yes, it's theory. Every single person's unique experience has its own definition of what that looks like. So if you're hearing the definition not quite match what you actually identify with, know that these are more umbrella terms and that your identity is still completely solid because we're not talking about your specific life. And that doesn't mean that it's, you know, inappropriately labeled. You get to have the diagnoses that you identify with. Yeah, absolutely. This is psychoeducational. It's, you know, and you're right, acute traumas, they happen to everyone. And and so chronic trauma plus acute is what adds to the complexity, which mm-hmm. makes the complex. And these things, they do operate differently or they impact us differently. Mm-hmm. Someone who has been abused and neglected in childhood is going to have a pretty unique set of symptoms. And that is going to be different than someone who is afraid of spiders. It's not less or more. They're mm-hmm. just different. And it's also important to differentiate because they're treated differently. So someone that's afraid of spiders, you can do exposure therapy. I'm sure I've said this on the pod before. You know, exposure therapy is we can just kind of work up to touching a spider. We can do this gradual exposure to the stressor and kind of wear down the trigger in the brain. And you can do a lot of that with complex PTSD, but mostly it's not about that. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. about resolving the nervous system damage that was done in childhood. It's about regulating the nervous system so it can come together so that the hemispheres of the brain can come together. Because when we have been exposed to a habitual stressor in childhood over and over and over again, when the source of safety is also the source of danger, then children develop really sophisticated coping mechanisms that, that literally and physically split the brain. So while this is theoretical, this is very grounded theory. <laughs> like mm-hmm. It's grounded in research and it has a huge evidence base, which matters in psychotherapy. It really does because that research is reflective of the accumulation of people's experiences, right? So adult survivors have the same coping mechanisms they did when they were a kid, except at this point, they're automated. The brain is a fairly automated thing. It just kind of do what it do. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, when kids are again, like in that soup of just constant stress and defense and defense mechanisms, and there's this splitting that happens, the personality also splits apart. And the most extreme version of this is dissociative identity disorder. Like that is a very, very high level of trauma. People are not born with DID because they have had to adapt through these very, again, sophisticated coping and splitting mechanisms. But all of us have that, which is why parts work is so resonant for people. The part of the brain that stores your implicit, your somatic memories, it doesn't verbalize. It doesn't speak. It doesn't speak. So my therapist is constantly trying to get me to stop talking (laughs) (laughs) because my other side of my brain, my highly verbal intellectual, that has become my good one. And the one Mm -hmm. who shuts down is my bad one. And this is a very body-based, like physical thing that happens. Yeah. I mean, being analytical about our experiences, especially when we're younger, helps us make sense of it, which kind of is like the first step to integrating, right? But I think a lot of us, I mean, you and me included, can get stuck there for a little too long. It's like we figure that out and then it's like, oh, well, that must be the work, you know, but the work is everything. (laughs) Well, it's all of it. It's all of it, you know? Yeah. And the reason that I'm starting with the body is because that is where all the other symptoms sort of grow out of. And I have a little excerpt from one of my favorite books. It's called The Living Stage. And it's a psychodrama manual, but the the beginning of it is so good. Um, There's a lot of important information about the somatic effect of trauma on the body. So she says, the body can't tell the difference between an emotional emergency and a physical danger. When triggered, it will respond by either pumping out stress through chemicals designed to impel someone or to quickly move into safety or enable them to stand and fight and flight. In the case of childhood problems, this is where the family itself has become the proverbial saber-toothed tiger or source of stress. There may be no opportunity to fight or flee. That is the cornerstone of CPTSD, is that you can't get away from it. You can't leave. Yeah. I ooh, super resonate with that. And all of this reminds me of a lot of the work that I do with clients is to, you know, tell them about neuroplasticity because so much of it has to do with exactly this pattern. It's, you know, your brain has these pathways in it and these neural pathways where if something triggers that starting point, I tell people, think of every neural pathway as like a trail in a forest. If you've been down that trail 600 times, it is well-worn and you can see it from a mile away. So, if your go-to coping mechanism when you know somebody says we have to talk is that you have an anxiety attack and then what happens is proof that you know that anxiety attack was well deserved and something horrible just happened hearing that phrase you're going to walk down that trail of panic and dysregulation and emotional turmoil and probably relationships crumbling right neuroplasticity work is saying okay so somebody said we need to talk Let's forge a new path. What's to the left? But remember, like, if you take that path one time, you're not going to be able to see it again. You have to take that same path over and over and over again in order for it to be forged at all. And I'm not saying 
that like you should just start abandoning all of your desires <laughs> when you're triggered. What I'm saying is it's very challenging to learn new behaviors, but it is possible, you know, with the help of professionals and educating yourself. Um, but those go-to experiences that we've had our whole lives, those go-to behaviors, they're really nailed in there. So Callie, I would love to outline the model of treatment and diagnosis that I have created for myself, which is all completely based in witchcraft <laughs> around <laughs> and symbolism and correspondences. So we started with body. Mm-hmm. Body is pentacles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we're trying to understand the symptoms of trauma, we first look at the pentacle. We look at what happens to the nervous system. So the symptomology is tends towards hyperarousal, like fight or flight, or hypoarousal, that is fawn or freeze, or somatization, belly aches, back aches, muscle aches. Um, actually, people who have a history of childhood trauma also walk a little cattywampus, which is a funny thing. It's called the trauma reflex. Your body Hmm. literally like the sides move differently. So I'm a really prime example of that. I fall a lot. And that's one way to explain what happens when I fall, because the uh, different sides of the body are working differently. One side is doing one thing. The other side is doing the other, and they're not talking to each other. That right. must be reflective of what you were saying about the brain hemispheres being exactly. affected. Wow. Exactly. I had no idea. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that weird? Yeah. And we all, we can resonate with that, right? Like I feel this way and I feel this way. I want to stay and I want to go. I want to do both. Yeah. We can't figure out which one. And so I can tell you right now, and I'm going to go back to my my little trauma symptomology, but you know, the work of survivors is to increase their window of tolerance, which mm-hmm. is where you're in neither. You're right in the middle, your regulated nervous system. When we're young, we don't have an opportunity to grow our window of tolerance. Adult survivors have a fairly shallow or narrow window of, of tolerance. We dysregulate very easily. So the more that we practice regulating and exciting or soothing or co-regulating activities, we grow the window and then we start to integrate and then we start to heal. I make it sound so easy. So anyway, <laughs> back to <laughs> back to it. So we have the pentacle. It all starts with the body. If you are feeling hyper aroused, Callie, what kind of emotional impact does that have on you? What do you do if you're in your, uh, your hyper arousal? Cry. Cry. Yeah. I, I go fawn and freeze. If I'm in a moment of big emotion, I'm a lot more likely to be like, oh my God, you're right. Uh, how can I help you? What can I do for you? Um, and feeling like I literally can't or shouldn't move. Yes, exactly. Water, the elements of water, we can get very still that really really glass-like surface of the water, or we can have an entire storm. And this is also informed by what kind of house we grew up in. So if we were growing up in an environment with nervous systems that were more hypo-aroused, more depressive, avoidant, distancing parents, that's usually the response we have. 
I grew up in a home with a lot of yelling and a lot of physical violence. And so I tend towards that. I do rage when I move into that. So that is your water part, right? That's the next element. We have pentacle and we have cups there. There is an impact on our ability to regulate our feelings. So people who have survived traumatic childhoods, who have this developmental trauma, we can be very reactive into either direction. And Callie and I are great examples of either one of those polar opposites. You know, or we can have these mixed states, which are really confusing. Um, emotions also can be a place of shame because how do other people react to us having big reactions? We feel embarrassed about our emotions. We feel rejection sensitivity because we have been rejected for the way that we've reacted. I have hurt people with my reactivity. I've hurt my family with it. It's, there is a real consequence. So our waters, our waters are impacted. Mm -hmm. I'm so curious what air will be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the last one. So after that, we have our fire. And that's where I put relationality, relationships. You know, the fire, the fire and the cups could be interchangeable. Sometimes I interchange them. But lately, the fire, the hearth, the creativity, the inspiration, that is also super impacted. You know, our ability to relate to ourselves and relate to others. I think it's helpful to see it in a pattern. So the body does this, now the emotion does this. Now, how does that impact your relationships? What is the impact when I get hyper aroused and now I'm really angry and now I'm yelling at someone I love? Now there's this pattern of relational difficulties that evolve for us over time when we have unresolved trauma when we haven't been able to learn how to be in our window of tolerance, basically. I think that fire is perfect for that because mm -hmm. I think of fire as being combustion. It's a combination of carbon and energy combining. Um, so it's about one thing and the other. It's about duality. Um, and our, our somatic experience does really, it's not only impacted by the relationships around us, it impacts the relationships around us. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we can also look for, you know, patterns of codependency live in this area, in this realm. I don't know fire. her. I know. I've never been codependent. I don't know what you mean. I've never had to do that to stay safe relationally and then felt unfulfilled and upset. Um, <laughs> no. I've never uh, sabotaged my own relationships whatsoever. Um I don't know about you, but I do not have disorganized attachment. I don't know who the fuck you're talking about, <laughs> but, fuck but you. I don't, I don't push people away and then feel hurt for their rejection. Like I don't do that. And maybe you're a bitch for suggesting as much. <laughs> Get better opinions and I wouldn't judge you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All that, all that shit. <laughs> Amber and I love to have pretend fights with people who don't exist. <laughs> Just ourselves. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. I'm fighting myself. I am the wolf inside myself. Yes, yes. A whole collection of wolves. Yeah. <laughs> a whole pack of wolves. So anyway, fire, <laughs> fire, relationality, super impacted. And again, it's like when... The, the source of our love, which is absolutely important for kids, kids will still try to bond and attach to someone who's abusing them. 
They will because they have to. Kids need to feel like they have a holding environment is what it's called. And the adults in that holding environment can't hold it. So the child tries to hold it. That's where a lot of the codependent stuff comes from. And when we don't tend to that wounded child self that we carry into adulthood, guess what happens? Feeling is difficult. Arousal states are disorganized when we have unresolved trauma. And and they're going to be disorganized for the rest of our lives. Uh, we just have more tools and more coping and our windows of tolerance keep growing, right? Yeah. But, but when the stressors are hard enough or high enough, we're still going to go back into those baseline copings. But but the feeling part, this is where we can get into like addictive um, symptoms, uh, self-harming symptoms here. You know, our fire needs to be stoked. And these are all mechanisms that are there to try to protect us and try to regulate us. Me tearing apart a room, which I haven't done in years, you know, and throw a bunch of shit. Um, that's an attempt at self-regulation. It's just one that keeps me perpetuating the trauma of my childhood instead of redirecting that energy but when we don't know what the fuck else to do, that's what we do is we go mm-hmm. right back down. A client of mine just recently saw symptoms that she hadn't seen in 10 years. And I'm like, yeah, it's because the stressors were right for it, you know? So our fire can get really big or it can just burn out too, right? Our access to creativity can be so muted because self-expression is complicated. I mean, I could go on and on. Childhood trauma really, really shapes who we are. So with that, Let's get to those swords. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts, your mind, your cognitions, which inform your behaviors. This is where that CBT, just a little bit of that behaviorism, because behaviorism has its place. That's kind of where we see it in these habituated behaviors like self-isolation or um, doing everything for everyone all the time because we're trying to manage the way we feel it's it's the the split in the hemispheres that's the sword it's like right Mm. it splits them up the sword ruptures the connection between the selves and they're not getting along so they tend to argue they tend to ruminate and then that informs our body you know it's just sort of all loops together it's not like one discrete lineage of symptoms they all are fused together like um like a recipe i love um I love any time there's a visual metaphor for these things because I think when we're able to visualize something, it can really stick in our brains a lot more, which is kind of what we're talking about, right? We're talking about how do you intellectualize these things? How do you make sense of them? And I like that you made this the, you know, final of the traditional elements because it does tend to come first. We tend to skip the other parts. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, and the, the very last thing that would round out this as a pentagram, earth, air, fire, water, spirit, is that our spirit becomes injured, our sense of self, our access to core self. Most of us walk around with just an embodied sense of shame that doesn't have language. It doesn't have words because it is implicit. It is through the somatic experience, our body does remember. This is just a true fact. It's not a turn of speech only. Would you say that it keeps the score? 
It really does. I wish it fucking stopped. Can you stop scoring this? I hate sports. I don't even like basketball. Like uh, I I love this model you've come up with because it it really does encapsulate every part of it. And the spirit, I mean, that is the like that's the true expression of the self. You know, that's all the parts together. Um and trauma does change who we are fundamentally. It does. It does. I, I just saw this great thing on Instagram. It's like, you know, trauma doesn't make us stronger. Resilience make us, makes us stronger. Mm-hmm. Our coping, our relationships. Yes, we do grow from trauma or we can. You know, the definition plainly of trauma is any experience that exceeds your ability to cope. So if there's higher coping, it doesn't always result in a traumatic experience. And I also want to say that everybody has unintegrated pain. I work with plenty of people who do not have developmental trauma disorder, which is what we have. That's another word for CPTSD, but they have plenty of trauma. You know, there's just, it's, it's again, everybody has this, this well of unintegrated pain somewhere because we all live in this country. We all have to exist under capitalism. We also have to navigate the pain of the generation before us. We all have it. And if you have been a victim of childhood, physical, sexual abuse or neglect, yeah, there is a lot that is needed to help you. Look at that pentagram. Your body needs support. Your emotional body needs support. Your relationships may need support and cognitive restructuring is going to be really important. And then what happens for your spirit? That's where witchcraft can come in. Mm-hmm. Mm. What do you think are some spirit exercises that can help support the pentagram of mental health? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's difficult to answer because I think that there are so many things that can bring us in closer proximity to a sense of spirit or a sense of spirituality. My felt sense is that we need to be in that window of tolerance a bit to really identify a feeling of spirituality. We need to feel fairly embodied. And I think that witchcraft and magical practice naturally integrates all of the different points I'm talking about, this pentacle, this cup, this sword, and this fire that represent those different places of wounding for traumatized people. Take the scene of a coven of witches in a forest around a fire. All of the elements are represented there in a regulating way. We're in the forest, right? That usually feels good to people. Not all people, but many people. Perhaps before the ritual, we breathe and we sink down into our bodies. I know many witches do that before they cast a spell. More pentacles connecting with the nervous system. The cauldron is literally fire. (laughs) And the initiating force that is engaging that inspiration and that creativity and that connection The coven represents that relationality and then the words you're speaking within the spell or the ritual that brings in the swords that brings in the intention and the verbal self. 
I think that many of us feel so drawn to witchcraft because we have wounding in these places and because witchcraft just does this really efficient job at meeting all of the diverse needs of people who are carrying that kind of pain and are hoping to connect to their spirit. I think what I'm hearing is that working in any of the other four elements is working with spirit. Yes, exactly. Thank you for understanding what I was trying to get at. Yes. Working literally with the other elements does bring you into connection with spirit. And when those other four elements are out of balance, it's not that it's impossible to access our spirituality, but it does cut off our maybe connective points. Maybe it reduces those, if that makes sense. Or it kind of, you know, we only have so much energy. And if our bodies are suffering and our minds are suffering, that's kind of more important to keep us as organisms alive. So the spiritual aspect just gets less attention. It does, which is a shame because I'm also of the mind that it's always happening, whether we're noticing it or not. Mm -hmm. That's what mushrooms have taught me. They're always like, oh, this is just always happening. You just can't see it. And magic theory has taught me that the other world is just this veil on top of this world. We just can't see it. So also taking myself out of that left brain, analytical, logical, and like you were asking about doing active imagination work, visualizing, bringing my senses into it, then, then I'm in the realm of spirit and then I can connect to it a bit better. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love how King of Pentacles this episode has turned out to be. It's so about the mastery of the elements. I know that <laughs> behaviorism, um, you're the first person I ever heard use that word. And um, you were talking about me <laughs> when you were saying it. And I, I thought it was so interesting because it is one of the areas where our different approaches are highlighted most. Um, and I think that the magic of being comes from, you know, activating all the parts. It is the feeling, it's the listening, it's the doing and the being it's occupying all of the elements not just one. So that also means if you're only praying and tending to an altar and you're not doing that heavy work, first of all, that is literally the definition of spiritual bypassing. And secondly, you're super out of balance. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, I have an excerpt. I would love to read it. This is from the same book that I read from earlier. It kind of speaks to your point, I think. When seeking treatment as adult survivors, memory or recallability of traumatic events may be minimal, and whatever memories are there, we may have little insight or cognitive understanding associated with them because our brain development at the time of the incident wasn't optimal. This is why it can be so hard to talk about traumatic experiences. Part of us just wasn't there. We were frozen in fear or dissociated, and when in therapy we search for the memory, it doesn't necessarily come. What comes instead is a sensorial and emotional content. Shakes, shivers, fears, heart pounding. My heart pounds a lot in therapy. Well, I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I'm doing good. Heart is pounding, right? And a sense of danger because this is how the memory was locked down in the first place. 
Trauma is a body-mind phenomenon, not just mind. This is why a body-mind approach to trauma therapy is critical to full recovery. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I, when I entered therapy, my therapist was like, okay, we're going to start with lifespan integration, write out memories from every year of your life. And I was like, well, that's hard because I don't actually have a lot of memories. And they were like, yeah, I know that's kind of the point. And part of the work that we do together is going into those things, making an actual timeline of my life. And honestly, doing that work brings up more memories, both traumatizing memories or traumatized memories and just benign ones. Um, So I would highly recommend for anybody listening who's like, oh my God, I have so few memories of my childhood. Look into getting a therapist who knows how to do lifespan integration therapy because it really works. Um, Obviously, I'm talking about for me, maybe it's not your jam, but I do really strongly believe it's worth giving a shot to. I agree. I think lifespan is really incredible. So is internal family systems and also nonverbal kinds of therapy, art therapy and drama therapy, creative arts therapies access that implicit memory, the one that we're talking about, the body and the mind body connection. And it allows the somatic body to speak because even if you don't have any memories that you can cognitively remember, you're having sense memories all the time. Someone looks at you wrong and you have a feeling about it and it doesn't make sense. And maybe you just internalize that you're a bitch or something, right? (laughs) And and that's, that's what I do. I'm like, why do I feel so negative right now? Oh, I'm probably having a sense memory. So, you know, this is also a challenge. One of my biggest griefs really in the last few years is the loss of my physical somatic practice with groups and clients because we're in a digital space. So, I try when I can to either keep our talking relevant to emotions, because if we're talking about emotion, we're talking about your body. Mm -hmm. That's also a thing to do is like, let's move out of problem solving and just talk about your subjective experience because we're going to access the body there and also having sensory tools. I know that you and your therapist also do bilateral activities and integration that bilateral movement, swaying, rocking, that is a way to get, the body to speak for itself, the part of the mind that doesn't have any language can experience with you. Yeah. My therapist is big on incorporating my body into our talk therapy because I really don't organically go there. I'm really good at dissociation and I don't say that with pride, more annoyance. (laughs) Um, I, I don't live in my body at all. And one of the things that we were talking about in our last session uh, was I was telling them that I've started, you know, using a planner and, and making my days a little bit more scheduled to try to help my mental health. And they were like, that's great. I'm so glad you're doing that. Um, I would like for you to try to integrate some kind of somatic practice while you're doing that. So maybe that means putting a cold pack on your feet while you do your journaling or your planner work, or maybe that means that you're stretching while you're doing it. I just want you to feel your body while you're also thinking about stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That guidance is really helpful. I have a pile of rocks usually in front of me when I'm working because I just want to keep my body online so that I don't get activated so that both the hemispheres of my brain are talking to each other. So I am not duplicating 
the conditions of my childhood by freezing while people tell me really sad things. Mm, yeah. It's very, very difficult to be both a client and a therapist in this world right now. <laughs> so <laughs> It's almost like it's difficult to be in this world right now. It is. That's why I wanted to do the trauma episode was, you know, like, write what you know, right? I'm like, well, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing a shit ton of really trauma-focused work because I am working with adult survivors who are going through acute trauma. Mm -hmm. We are collectively collecting complex trauma as we speak. And as we increase our coping, we are defending ourselves against the long-term impacts of that. This is why we make this podcast in part is to support the collective through collective grief, collective pain. Mm -hmm. And collective, not us healing each other, but us holding hands as we heal individually um, and feeling that resonance in the collective. Um, and also selfishly because it's fucking fun. Let's it's be also real. fucking fun. I like a pro <laughs> I need a project. It's not that I yeah. do like it, but I fucking need a project or I will feel not good. <laughs> Same. And you know what? There's that delicious behaviorism. We know that we a creative do. project makes us feel productive. And this fucking Virgo loves to feel productive. I mean, prior to COVID, I had five jobs, you guys. Okay. Everything in moderation and balance. <laughs> Too many projects is also a problem. So uh, Callie's I, like, no. <laughs> I forgot who I was talking to. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, miss 17 jobs over here. I don't know how many jobs I have, but you know what? My job is my life. You're a Jane of all trades. I do a little bit of everything. I'm an eclectic witch, y'all. You are. You are. <laughs> yes, it is quite a challenge for me to only work and do a podcast. It's pretty weird. But I'm also working on myself, which is why I wear a lot of Carhartt. Because <laughs> you're like always at work. Do you like that joke? <laughs> <laughs> Love that joke. I Thanks. thought you were just wearing a lot of Carhartt because you're hella gay. I mean, I'm not hella gay. I'm just sort of bi. But yes, I've been really <laughs> liking flannel. So anyway, about trauma. <laughs> to be clear, we both know that we're both queer. This is a queer podcast. So th us making gay jokes about ourselves is, it's gay approved. It's par for the course. Yes. Is that a golf term? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. So, yes. you know, to wrap up, I mean, how do we wrap up an episode like this, right? There's so much here. Well, I think that first of all, we we did part of our wrap up, which is explaining, you know, why this is so important to us. And the second part is that we mentioned how fucking rewarding it is to be part of this community and how doing this work together, whether or not we ever hear from you, dear listener, like it doesn't matter if you never leave us a review, but we would love for you to, um, or if you never write us a piece of, you know, mail or something, if we don't even know, it doesn't matter because the energy is there. And I know that's the wooest thing I have maybe ever said on the podcast at least, but I really believe it. I think that if we're all doing this work, it does positively impact the collective. I think that our jobs as, you know, citizens of planet earth, is to work on ourselves. I think it's the holiest work we can do. 
Absolutely. It is creating change in accordance with will. Mm. It is magic. And speaking of the collective, we have a bunch of new reviews. Read me one of those delicious new reviews. First okay. reviews of 2022. <laughs> yeah. I want to read all four, but I'm going to I'm going to spread them out over the next few weeks. So, yeah. This one is called Practical Witchcraft. Thank you. I love that. That's mm-hmm. great. And this is from Emmy 7. Emmy 7. Emmy 7. Okay, it says, <laughs> let me start out this review by saying, I don't think I've ever reviewed a podcast before. Yeah. I've also <laughs> never joined a Patreon either. Oh. I, what did I fucking tell you about that Juggalo <laughs> shit? Fucking stop. But after listening to... <laughs> But after listening to just two episodes of this podcast, I am convinced, all caps, it is my favorite resource for practical application of witchcraft that blends mental health and psychology beautifully. Thank you. There's more. They are very welcoming and open, unlike a few other podcasts. Ooh. Oh, shade. See, ooh. (laughs) Unlike a few. I'm going to give it a different affect. Let's be fun. Unlike a few other podcasts I've listened to (laughs) that seem to be a little bit more dogmatic. Like, you must do this or scaring people off from deity work. Ooh, I like it. That's true. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, like, weird gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. I'm very new to calling myself a witch, and I'm realizing I've had some long, rather pagan beliefs for a long time. So it's nice to find a podcast that blends them. Looking forward to the book club, part of the Patreon. We are, too. We got to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, Emmy. That is so sweet. Uh, I, I love that you feel so welcome to the podcast because as Amber said, there's just so much gatekeeping in our community and it doesn't make people live more magically to be like, Hmm, don't do that. You know what? Let people make their fucking mistakes. Do what thou wilt. And also if you want to pray to a deity, pray to a deity. If you want to leave out an offering, leave out an offering. It's your life. Um, I'm I'm so excited that you found our podcast. And yeah, we do have to figure out our next book club activities because it's got to be something. I'm reading three books right now, so maybe somebody can join that. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading a lot right now. I'm finally into The Good Part of Circe by Madeline Miller. Thank goodness. I'm so excited for you. Got to get fat past the first like two chapters. Yeah, it was yeah. really boring to learn about the history of the gods. Like, I'm sorry, it's just not my jam. I care about her trying to fall in love with a fisherman. Yes. 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 Oh my God. Wait till she gets to Aiea. Oh, oh she's I'm so excited for you. It's, it's about to happen. Good? Not yet. Fuck. Speaking, speaking of fucking trauma, that book is an exercise of trauma integration. It is basically a manual for how to work with your trauma. Read Circe by Madeline Miller. She's writing a book about Persephone right now. Ooh, she has other books too. She does. One about a guy. Oh, um, (laughs) Achilles. Achilles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I'm also reading The Witch at the Forest's Edge. Oh, yeah. That's a great book. Yeah. We are hoping to still get its author back. On, on our back on our podcast for the first time. So not back. Um, <laughs> we're hoping to get her on the podcast soon. We were in the midst of scheduling, but it turns out unexpected death kind of gets in the way of like scheduling a podcast. Acute trauma, if you will. Mm, that as one. As a treat. As a treat. Yeah. Only as a treat. Yeah. 
So we are, we are getting back on board with our scheduling of guests, which should be pretty fun. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, maybe we can do a little like private interview with her for the book club or something. We'll try to make some cool stuff happen. Um, so if you are wanting to join us on Patreon, there are some really delicious things coming to the book club, but there are every single week really special things coming to the witch tier and above. So this week, what we're going to be talking about in our bonus content is how all of the things we've just talked about are really compounded when you have Mercury and Venus in retrograde as they are right now. So if you're feeling like shit is getting really convoluted and your emails are being taken in a tone you didn't mean, and also your love life feels a little stressful, and why is communication so hard? Go and listen on Patreon to our bonus content, which, by the way, a few people have been confused about where to find the bonus content on Patreon. So let me clarify. We upload on Patreon extended cuts of this podcast. So you will get all the things you're hearing right now that you would get from like Apple podcasts or Spotify. And then there will be additional content at the end of that. So what you can do is listen on Patreon, or you can add us to your RSS feed. If you have questions about that, I highly recommend Googling it because I don't know anything about it. I am not a tech wizard, but I have heard it's very easy. So I'm just lazy. That's what I'm saying. I love how self-accepting you are. It's one of my favorite qualities you have. <laughs> Thank you. You're it's welcome. only sometimes. <laughs> it's only in small moments. It's fleeting. It's only about technology, which makes me want to rip my hair out. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it exceeds my ability to cope. <laughs> Being traumatized. By yes. <laughs> yes. Well, before I get traumatized by technology, uh, I will say, witches, keep those brooms up and know that you get to do whatever the fuck you want. And also I hope that you're taking care of those pentagrams. Body first, the rest will follow. Sick, brah. Sick, brah. It, it was a somber note. Sick, brah. <laughs> I like that better. It was good. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.